Hey guys, welcome to the first podcast of Cricket Strategist. Today I'm joined by my fellow colleague Sparsh Telang, who will also be discussing the second T20 international that just took place, and we'll also be previewing the third T20 international. So, Sparsh, what did you make out of India's masterclass? Ardik Pandya. Well, he came in when the team required some runs, and it was not an easy situation to come in. but pandya in this entire tour has shown that he is somebody who can get into the team the white ball team as a specialist batsman all by himself he plays hard lengths well all of us know hardik pandya's ability versus spin bowling he has improved you know as as time has progressed against pace and he has shown the world that he can make it into the team as a specialist batsman in white ball cricket many people including the likes of sanjay manjrekar had questioned whether if pandya is capable of making it into the team just purely for his batting well he has he has answered that yes he is very much capable of making it into the team purely for his batting yeah i agree even if you look at the one day international series he was a leading run scorer for india he scored 210 runs And you generally do not expect a batter coming in at number six to be your leading run scorer. So he was miles above the others. Scored 210 runs at an average of 105 and a superior strike rate of 115. And I think his form is quite, you know, carried on to the T20 series as well. So he was struggling to get going today. So he was not able to connect it properly. He was going hard at it, and that's what happened in the penultimate over as well. That was balled by Andrew Tai. He Tried to smash it in the first three balls. He could not connect them pretty well, and then Ty balled quite a few bad deliveries, and he got away. So, like even Sam, if, if you observed his last over, so it was pretty weird. Like Sam balled his first three overs from over the wicket, and he was just balling those cutters and balling deliveries outside the off stump, making it really hard to connect. Last over, I could not understand what he was thinking. He came around the wicket to Hardik Pandya, which is the last thing you would want to do. And Paul absolute slot deliveries, two sixes. That is all. I think even on air the commentators talked about it. That it's all about hitting two sixes for Pandya, and that's exactly what he did. He balled slot deliveries and helped Pandya get underneath it and smash it and win it for India. Yeah, he he just made life easier for Hardik Pandya by changing his side, and he just missed his length completely. Balled it in the slot, and Pandya is too good to miss out on that. So. Yeah, just a matter of two hits, as the commentators said, and Hardik Pandya he just finished it off for India in style with a big six. Yeah, it was too good, and that was actually what was expected, as you correctly spotted out. Like many were doubting his ability purely as a batter, but the sheer performances that he has put in, like he has been our match winner, proper match winner, and India would be hoping that this form continues now, going into the last T20 international as well. Right. Uh, so the next thing I wanted to talk about was Kohli's performances. Do you see his performances going unnoticed? Because what I personally feel is that each and every Indian fan is used to seeing Kohli smash hundreds. So whenever he hits those centuries, it is always remembered. But if you look at the entire tour so far, he did well in the one-day internationals. He failed in the first one, but then he scored a couple of half centuries in the next. And over here as well in the T20 series so far, he has done quite a good job. So, do you think that because Kohli is not scoring those hundreds, people are thinking that he's struggling for form? Right. So, as you correctly said, the kind of expectations that that people have from Virat Kohli in ODI cricket, 
they expect Virat Kohli to score those big centuries. In T20s, they expect Virat Kohli to finish games. Even though he has not, you know, he did not score a century in the ODI series, he still averaged 57.67. He was India's second highest run scorer, a strike rate of 93, which is very good. But the kind of standards that Virat Kohli has set, they are extremely high. Even today, 40 of 24 in a run chase of what 195 or something at a strike rate of 166. Well, yes, he has been performing well, but because the kind of expectations that the, that the public has from Virat Kuli, they are going a bit under unnoticed. He isn't out of form. He is playing good cricket. Um, in the first T20, he was a bit unfortunate. Pretty much a nothing delivery from Swepson and Virat Kohli unfortunately edged it. On some other day, it would have been a six. But yeah, he has been performing well. And today, because of Bhawan and Hardik Pandya and Natarajan, because of these guys, his performance went unnoticed. Otherwise, 40 of 24, the kind of situation he came in, I feel that he played very well. Yeah, he's getting sort of overshadowed by these perform- match-winning performances that people are giving in. So like he came into bat in the sixth over itself. By the, by the time he got out, it was the 17th over. So, for a number 3 batter, scoring 40 runs at a strike rate of 167 is really, really good. So, I think it's, yeah, definitely, as you said, like we set very high standards for him. And as soon as he does not reach those milestones, whether it's a 50 or a 100, we feel, we start sort of assuming that he's struggling to perform and, you know, he's not doing quite good. Yes, I, I agree on that point. In fact, this year, because he does not have a one-day international century, people, they think that Virat Kohli is not in form, whereas he still averages 47 or 48, which is not at all bad. But the kind of expectations people have is, is an average of 60, 70 or 80 from Virat Kohli. But if you look at other number three batsmen in ODA cricket in the same calendar year, which is 2020, they are somewhat around Virat Kohli itself. So... The kind of expectations this man has set is extremely high, and that's why people think that he is out of form or something. Whereas he is playing decent cricket, he's not he's not playing bad cricket. Even in D20 cricket, he averages about 30. The kind of a mixed year for Virat Kohli in D20 cricket. But yeah, I won't say that he is out of form. So that's that about Virat Kohli and how he is going a bit unnoticed. But the rising star has been Team Natarajan in this series. The way he has bowled in these T20 internationals, coming in after a good IPL, um, being reputed as a death, as a death bowler, he has been pretty brilliant so far in this series. What do you make of his performances? Yeah, I'll just get to Natarajan. I'll just talk about. I'll just add another point about Kohli. So, like you know, when you look at his numbers this year, you would generally think that it's a bad year for Kohli. But Kohli's bad year is equivalent to other batters having a normal year. That's, you know, that's how I would want to sum it up as. And coming to Natarajan, I feel he has been a fantastic fine. He had a good year this year with the IPL. He did average about 30, but it's not about his average or the economy rate. It's about how he balls and what he banks upon. Having a left-arm pacer nailing his yorkers at the death is a very, very important asset for any team and if you consider India as a bowling unit just imagine having an extra bowler other than Chaspreet Bumrah who can bowl at the death in the manner in which he manages even in this particular series he's picked up five wickets in eight overs having conceded just 50 and is a leading wicket taker so 
Yeah, having said that, I think Natarajan is a different kind of a bowler. He takes a pitch out of equation. He's not someone who's going to bank upon a new ball and look to swing it. He nail his yorkers, stick to it. And if you look at today's match, there was a little bit of grip off the pitch. So, he was quite smart enough to adjust his length. And he started bowling cutters. He started bowling it into the pitch. He's quite similar to how Mustafa's was when he started. If there is some assistance from the pitch, he's going to bank upon cutters. If not, he will bowl those yorkers. Yes, absolutely. Um, in a game where you know about 400 runs were scored, Natarajan had an, econ- had an economy rate of just 5. He conceded just 20 runs in yeah. his 4 overs. And as you said, he was smart, smart enough. He adapted to the conditions. And well, he was brilliant today is what I felt. And you know, many people thought of Natarajan just as a Yorker specialist. Me, myself, I thought that he doesn't have a lot of variations with him, but the way he has bowled in this series, I got he. I, I guess he got a wicket of a bouncer today, and he also got a wicket of a good length delivery in the first T20. If I'm correct, yeah. So he has shown to the world that he does not only rely upon the Yorkers; he has other variations as well with him. And India, they finally, I believe that they have found a quality left-arm seamer who shall get the the required backing because India, all of us know that a couple of bad series and they just throw people out of the team. So Natarajan is somebody out of everyone who gives that kind of confidence that yes, he can be an asset for India in the future. Otherwise, people like Unatkat and Barinder Sra and Khalil Ahmed, all these guys came and went talking about the left-arm seamers, but nobody inspired the kind of confidence that Natarajan is, is, is giving us. So I believe that even if he does not perform for, let's say, one series or two, he shall not be removed from the team. He is somebody who shall get the required backing because he can be an asset for India in the future. Yeah, I completely agree. Like, if you look at the left-arm pace of Ramari that we have had right at the beginning of the T20 internationals, all the left-arm paces that we've had so far have banked upon swing or change of pace. That is when Natagajan is very different. So, let's have our fingers crossed and hope that he gets a longer run in at least a T20 format. And I'm sure it's going to pay off. Yes. And, and the kind of background that Natarajan comes from as well. It's, it's a beautiful story. And also not to forget that he is bowling in a unit which does not have Jaspreet Bumrah. And today there was no Shami either. So, Deepak Chahar, Shardul Thakur, Natarajan. It's an inexperienced unit. But Natarajan, he has bowled very well. And once Bumrah comes back, because he's a superstar who can bowl in all the three phases of the game, that will take some pressure off Natarajan and he will be a better bowler altogether. Right, so that's that about Natarajan. Now moving on to the next topic, Yuzi Chahal, somebody who is regarded as one of the finest wrist spin bowlers in white ball cricket at present. If you look at his performances so far, Barring the first T20 at the Manuka Oval in Canberra, in, in all the three games at the SCG, Chahal has leaked, he has leaked runs and he has leaked them in plenty. His economy rate in the ODI series was above 7, I guess. Today also, he leaked more than 50 runs. So, what's going wrong with Chahal, especially at the SCG? Yeah, like Chahal is a must-have player to begin with. But one thing that has stood out with his performances is a lot more with how Australians have approached against him. They know Chael is the mainstay in the Indian bowling lineup in the absence of either Jaspreet Bumrah or Mohamed Shami. 
So what Australians have smartly done is that they have targeted Chahil. And another thing that has not supported him is the pitch at the SPT. So generally the notion at the SPT is that it's a slow track. It does offer some purchase of the pitch. But Chahil unfortunately has not found anything because there has been none to begin with. So that is another thing that has not really worked for him. And yeah, it is just on haywire completely for him. So if you look at his performances at Canberra, that's a pitch that is a lot more sort of suited to the spinners, even with the dimensions, and a huge fit as well for the first T20 internationals. There was a lot of purchase available, and we, and we saw what he was able to do on that particular pitch. So yeah, I think a lot more than his bowling, it's about the pitch and how the Australians have approached his bowling. They've been a lot more aggressive. So even if you look at how Glenn Maxwell is all about it, Chehel has historically succeeded against Maxwell. But if you look at this particular T20 series, Chehel has bought 8 deliveries to Maxwell and he has smashed him for 18. And even if you look at the One Day International series, Maxwell smashed Chehel for 21 of 7 balls. So that's a combined total of 39 runs of 15 balls. And I'm sure even Steven Smith is going to have a much better record. So yeah, it has got a lot to do with how the Australians have approached. That's what I believe. One more thing which I would like to add is that slowly with time, I believe that Chahal has slowly transformed himself into a more more of a traditional leg break bowler, somebody who gives nice flight. He bowls those full length um, loopy leg break deliveries, kind of inviting the batsman to go after him. And that works well on large grounds, grounds with big boundaries. And as you said, the dimensions in Canberra, they suited Chahal a bit more. And that's why he got success at Canberra as well. SCG, the boundaries are a bit shorter. And as you said, the Australians, they played him with the right intent. And that's why he leaked runs as well. Taking nothing away from Chahal, I'm not saying that he won't, he won't succeed on, on small grounds. We all know how well has he done at the Chinnaswami. But slowly with time, I just believe that he is slowly transforming into that sort of a bowler, more of a traditional type of a bowler. I may be wrong, but that's what I believe. Yeah, I completely agree with that. Uh, let's hope now he's got another game up his sleeve and with no full detail, the available, he's going to have another chance to showcase his skills. But STG again, so you never know. Yes. So I guess that's, that rounds up our discussion about Team India. Moving on to Australia. Well, are they playing with the right team balance, especially at the top of the order? Darcy Short, is he actually required? Yeah, I think that's that's the big story with no Finch or no David Warner available, especially with no David Warner. Australians were still looking for a left-handed option as an opener and they keep reverting back to Darcy Short. But if you look at Darcy Short's entire career, like he has done really well for Hobart when he is open. But when it comes to the international career, he hasn't quite succeeded. He finds it very difficult to get going against his spinners in the first six overs. And even if you look at his overall statistics, I think he has an average of somewhere near 30, but his strike rate is as low as 118. So that goes on to show that he's going to give you say, around 30-35 runs every game, but they are not really going to come at a quick time, which is what we expect at least from an opener. So the general consensus of the Australian public is of Darcy Short, the aggressive batter, which is not something that has quite happened on the international circuit. So. Yeah, I don't think it's quite the correct call to make now. We have seen how Wade has done. He has finally played at his proper or the more suited position as an opener. And we saw what he has done, right, in his first innings itself. And now going into third T20 International, it would be a lot more better for Australians to opt for 
Matthew Wade and Marcus Stoyanov combination at the top of the order and leave out Darcy Short. And yeah, like besides that, coming to the bowlers as well, with the main bowlers not available, like Pat Cummins has been rested, Josh Hazelwood was rested today as well, Mitchell Stark is pulled out because of his personal reasons for the remainder of the T20I series. It seems as if Australia do not have many choices here. Yes, as you rightly pointed out, Darcy Short, even though his performances for the Hobart Hurricanes in the BBL have been top-notch, but his international performances have not been good. A strike rate of 118 for an opener, um, that's not what you expect. But the thing with Australia is that they don't have a lot of options available. They have somebody like a Manas Labushain in the squad, but since there is a practice game upcoming, I'm not so sure whether if he will be available for the 30-20. So that's the problem with Australia. They don't have a lot of options available. Otherwise, ideally, in the absence of Finch and Warner, if you have to form an ideal opening combination for Australia, I believe that it shall be Matthew Wade and Marcus Stoinis. We saw why Wade shall open today. He plays the role of the aggressor, whereas Marcus Stoinis, he takes some time to get going, but he becomes more dangerous as he gets his eye in. He becomes better versus all kinds of bowling once he gets his eye in. So, I believe that they will complement each other very well. The left-right opening combination as well. So, ideally, Wade and Stoinis should be their ideal opening combination. Yeah, Australia would ideally hope that Finch is available for the third T20 international. He's any which way not going to be a part of the test squad. So, if Finch is available, that is the right way to go, Wade and Finch. But if Finch is unavailable, then I think it's no fair. They've got to go with Stoinis and Wade. Wade does not take a lot of time to get going. He is on to it straight away, as we saw. He's quite aggressive. He's got a fantastic record in BBL in the last few seasons as an opener. So, yeah, he does not require any time to get going. And he plays his field quite smartly. Whereas, if you look at Darcy Short, he requires a specific kind of bowling against which he excels. So, in that increases his limitations as a smasher. So, yeah, he has somehow been unable to convert his T20 domestic form into T20 international form. And, yeah, I think going into third T20 international, Australians need to consider that form of Darcy Short. Yes, so they don't have a lot of options available for the third T20 unless Aaron Finch is available himself. But today, I guess one more thing which I would like to point out is that Abbott and Enriquez, both of them were a bit underused. I believe. Yeah, I think uh, they could have utilized them a lot better. They opted for four rows of Andrew Tai. They went for Daniel Sands in the last over. And I think the point that they missed out is giving Glenn Maxwell an over in the power play itself against Shikhar Dhawan and Kale Rahul. I think that turned out to be a huge game changer. He went for 19 runs of that one over. So they could have easily used another over of Moses Hondriquez who did the damage in the first T20 international as well. So, yeah, maybe if they would have looked to fetch, say, around six overs out of Abbott and Henry case, it would have been a lot better rather than giving Ty another over or Daniel Sams another over. Uh, yeah, they could have perhaps utilized them a lot better in the middle overs. Especially Henry case, I believe, because he bowls those cutters. And as we saw, the cutters were effective today. They were not easy to hit. And as you said, Henry case, he did the damage in the first T20 as well. He could have been utilized better today as well. So, that's that about the Australian team. And uh, any changes you see from both the teams in the, for the 30 20? 
Look, as far as the changes are concerned, I don't see many changes coming in the Indian squad. The only possibility of a change coming through will be of Navdeep Saini coming in place of Deepak Chair. Otherwise, I don't see any changes coming in the Indian squad. Yeah, and as far as Australia is concerned, if Finch is available, I'm sure he's going to come in place of Darcy Short. If he's not, then I'm sure Australians will look to give Darcy Short another opportunity. And besides that, there's a good chance that someone like Stephen Smith might, might be arrested because of the test series. And someone like Alex Carey might be given a nod ahead of Stephen Smith for that game. Besides that, I think the bowling attack might remain the same. If they want to give a shot to Nathan Lyon, maybe he might come in. But again, that's unlikely considering that he's going to form a part of the test squad as well. So yeah, I think at the most, a change each for both the squads. Nothing beyond that. As you said, not many changes for either squads because nobody would want to risk their players for the test series. And yeah, as far as India is concerned, winning team, at max, they can maybe give a chance to Navdeep Saini instead of somebody like a Deepak Chahar. Other than that, I, I see no changes happening. One thing, not exactly a change, but one positive from the Indian team that I would say is that they have backed Sanju, Sanju Samson in both the games at number four, which is a positive sign because otherwise we, we saw somebody like Ashtaya Sayer or Manish Pandey who were the contenders for the number four spot in D20 cricket. But it's good to see that they have played Sanju Samson at number four and they backed him in the second D20 as well. And I believe that they shall do it in the third D20 as well because he is somebody who can be India's spin basher in the middle overs because neither of Virat Kohli or KL Rahul or Dhawan for that matter, they have they don't have a have a very healthy strike rate against spin bowling in the middle overs. So I believe that Sanjay Samson, that is one positive to take forward from this series. Yeah, he's done an amazing job actually. If you look at today's team as well, he was promoted at number four. Like no one would have expected, especially with Shreyas a year in the side, everyone would have expected a year to come at four. But it shows the faith that the Indian management have shown Samson. And he did quite a good job. Like people are not really understanding how important these two knocks were. In the first game as well, he made 23 odd, but it came off a quick time. And that was a very, very valuable inning. He really got criticized for it. So the one thing with Samson is that he does not really require time, as you said. He does not require, say, five, six balls to get his iron. He looks to smash it from ball one. Even today, he looked to hit the first ball itself for a big one. It did not come off properly, but it's all about the intent at the end of it all. So yeah, it should be good if India stick to Samson and keep giving him the confidence and keep backing him going forward in the T20 format. Absolutely. He is one of those very few players in India who plays with the right intent and is suited to the middle order. Imagine having a middle order of Pant, Samson and Hardik Pandya in T20 cricket. I know it's very far-fetched, but that will be an absolute blockbuster middle order. So, yes, Samson being backed is one positive. Again, it's impulsive. He may be dropped for the next T20 series. We, we, we never know with India, but at least for now, it's a positive. And I hope that he plays at number four in the third T20I as well. So, I guess that rounds up our discussion for the T20 internationals. And just before concluding, I guess we should have a talk about the ongoing game, which is between the India A and the Australia A team, where Ajinkya Rahani he scored a ton and that's a big positive for Team India. Yeah, so I think it was a very brave decision to begin with. Like India opted to bat first 
and Ramoy Novel, from what I have observed, is not a venue to be winning the toss and opting to bat first. And it was sort of, like you can make out of the start, the pair, the opening combination that many Indians were looking forward to, after three, Shohan Shubhan Gil, opening the innings. Like, both of them bagged a duck. That was not a promising start to get off to. And then, again, it was the mainstay for the Indian cricket in the test format. Chetishwad Kuchar, Akin, showing signs of confidence. This is 54 and Bihari scoring. Well, he scored 15, which is not much, of course, but there were enough signs to show that Bihari can be a good batter in the middle order for India with his solid technique. Yeah, coming to Rani again, it shows how important he is in the overseas test matches with his 108 not out. And going into the main test series with Virat Kohli not being available for the last three test matches, and the onus is going to be on Achinkya Rani and Cheteshwar Puchara to deliver. And yeah, let's see. Besides that, I don't think there were any positives for India to take. Like, you wouldn't want your third highest run scorer to be Umesh Yadav and fourth highest run scorer to be Kuldeep Yadav. That's the last three. <laughs> yes. Um, the opening combination, Prithvi Shaw, Shubman Gill. Okay, I'll say that it was probably expected of Prithvi Shaw because he doesn't have the right technique to thrive in overseas test matches. He struggles against the short ball as well. But Shuman Gill backing a first ball duck, that is something which was highly unexpected. Let's see how he does in the second innings because Shuman Gill is one player whom I would look forward to across all three formats for India in the future. Prithvi Shaw, yeah, 0 of 8. Let's hope he, bounce, he bounces back. But ideally, I would not have Prithvi Shaw opening in Australia. I'll, I'll, I'll definitely open with Mayank Agarwal. And out of the box, I'll, I'll maybe go with Hanuma Vihari because he maybe he is better suited than our specialist openers to see out the new ball. Then after Virat Kohli, he leaves after the first game. Shubman Gil can slot in at number four, which I believe will be a better position for him than opening. And then you have Rahane. It is a question who will play at number six. Will they go with KL Rahul or what will they do at number six? I'm not so sure. And... Yeah, that's that's how I see things going. Yeah, look, with Vihari, at least this is what I observed. He was picked for India to down under the last time around as well. And this has been a common trend with Haduma Vihari in Australia. He will give you a lot of confidence when you look at his batting. He's quite solid in defence. And he'll sort of put a prize on his wicket. He's not going to get out that easily. But you won't see a high score either from him. So he looks really, really good, really solid in technique until he gets out. So at the end of it, all you'll just see scores of this 20, 30 odd. So that is becoming a huge issue for Vihari. So it's pretty important for him to convert those starts and not get out for such sort of sub 20, sub 30 scores. So that is going to be really important. And then Sean Gale, I think, yeah, as you said, it was pretty much on the cards. Like right? the, the quality of Michael Neeser and James Pattinson and Jackson Bird is always going to be tough facing these guys with new ball at the Timoyne Oval. And that's exactly what happened. So, yeah, I agree. I mean, you've got to back someone like Mike Agarwal as an opener. I prefer him over Prithvi Shaw, who's already struggling for form off late, and Shubhan Gil. So, yeah, I think it has to be Mike Agarwal and I agree. It has to be Hanuma Vihari open. And once Kohli leaves, India should ideally look to slot in Shubhan Gil at number four. I'm sure he's going to do a lot better in that position. And at last, the wicketkeeper, Riddhiman Saha or Rishabh Pant. I personally am tilted towards Rishabh Pant. 
despite Saha's superior keeping abilities. But the last time Rishabh Pant played in Australia, we all know what he did. He ended up as India's second highest run scorer. He scored more runs than Virat Kohli and he was very consistent throughout the series. I know he is struggling for form, but as a batsman, I still rate Rishabh Pant ahead of Riddhiman Saha. And it's not that he is very bad with the gloves either. So ideally, I will play Rishabh Pant in my team ahead of Riddhiman Saha. Yeah, I agree. Like Pant has to be the preferred option. Why would someone, why would a wicketkeeper who has scored hundreds in Australia and England not be a first priority? But just judging by the signs, if you look at the team selection today, with Saha being picked over Pant, I think we are getting an indication of what India are looking forward to. But let's hope with another test match, another practice match scheduled, there's a good chance that Pant might be tried out. It's a day-night test match as well. So there's a good chance that India could be looking to test out Saha in one of the practice games and Rishabh Pant in the second practice game. Whoever delivers will be the preferred test wicketkeeper for us. But yeah, personally, if I was to pick someone, it has to be Rishabh Pant to show. Absolutely. So, And in Australia, you need somebody who blabbers a lot behind the stumps. So Rishabh Pant is perfect for that you as can't, well. You, uh, you can't expect Saha to be doing that. <laughs> exactly. Temporary captain. I remember 2018. <laughs> yeah. So, yes. Not only that, but like, huh? even Pant, the century that he got last time around in Australia, that was a very, very good knock. It was quite aggressive. And the quality of the pace attack and the quality of bowlers that Australia poses, it was quite good. And doing that against Australia in test matches at Sydney was an amazing feat. So, uh, yeah, even I'm hoping that Rishabh Pan gets mm-hmm. back irrespective of his form. He has to be the preferred wicketkeeper for us. And yes, not to forget, it was his first ever tour to Australia and it's never easy for any batsman for the first time in Australia. And he did it against a quality bowling attack, as you said. And not only that century, throughout the series, Rishabh Pant, he consistently chipped in with those quick-fire 30s and 40s, you know, just propelling India to a good total, which was crucial. And yeah, I'll say that Rishabh Pant, he has to be back irrespective of his form ahead of Saha. Now, yes, it it's all down tomorrow. How do the Indian bowlers bowl? I have my eyes on Mohamed Siraj a quality red ball bowler and I believe that the decks in Australia will suit his type of bowling as well. Now, in the absence of Ishan Sharma, you would want someone like... You, you need someone who will step up. Umbra, Shami and a third base pacer who is likely to be Mohamed Siraj considering Saini's poor form. So, it is an important outing for Siraj tomorrow and hope he delivers. Yeah, I'm actually quite confident about Siraj delivering at the Ramoy Noval. It will suit his style of bowling. And another guy that I'm looking forward to is also Karthik Tyagi. That's a very, very exciting move that India has gone for. And a very, very exciting prospect as well in terms of how aggressive he is as a bowler. He looks to bank for those short deliveries. He does not mind that. He'll get smashed for runs. He'll still, you know, sort of bowl those yorkers, bowl those short deliveries. So, yeah, even I expect Siraj to do well. But I'm still a little skeptical going into the test series and just purely judging the venue that which he's going to be bowling. You know, there is not going to be much of an assistance available for the second, third and the fourth test matches, which is where someone like Siraj will also be tested. And with Bumra and Shami already being quite exhausted after a long IPL, one-day series, T20 series, you know, it's going to be pretty hard for the Indian pace attack. And the third pacer and short will have to step up big time. 
Yes, and it's never easy for any overs for any bowler to make his test debut in Australia. But yes, let's hope for the best because Siraj, even his background story is a very beautiful one, and everybody wants Mohammad Siraj to do well. So yes, I guess that rounds up our discussion. Thank you for tuning in. Do subscribe to the YouTube channel, and do follow us on our social media handles as well. We will link it in the description below. Thank you for watching. Cheers, guys.